we had about 150 pairs of rows of turns, and now we have 1740. Welcome to Nature Magic. Today I'm talking to Dr. Stephen Newton, Senior Seabird Conservation Officer at Birdwatch Island. Stephen is responsible for managing the long-term conservation projects at Rockerville, the Roseate Turns, Kilcool, Little Turns, and a variety of other seabird monitoring and research initiatives, including the FAME and MARPAM programs, which have focused on deploying loggers on seabirds to identify key feeding areas and migration strategies. Away from seabirds, Stephen has coordinated surveys of choughs, upland birds, and was a member of the team who developed the Birds of Conservation Concern in Ireland concept back in 1999. He is also chairperson of the Irish Rare Breeding Birds panel, and in his spare time is a keen local patch bird tracker. Hi, Stephen. Thank you so much for coming onto the Nature Magic podcast. Um, could you tell everybody where we are talking to you from today? Uh, well, I am in a very boring location, sitting in my office in Kilcool, County Wicklow, in a business park or whatever. So I don't have a very nice view except for the maps and the bird pictures on my walls. But if I, if I take a few steps, I can just about see the Sugarloaf, Great Sugarloaf, which is our local light landmark in this part of Wicklow. But unfortunately, a great big industrial unit has just been built in front of it. So it's a bit chopped off now, which is a bit of a shame. But <laughs> You're the far side of Ireland from us. We're in Galway on the west and you're on the east coast for the people who aren't Irish that are listening in. Yeah, very much on the east coast. A lot, a lot of my work involves the east, but I do, I do get over to the west quite frequently. My sister lives in Clare, so... As an excuse, and and my kids all go to college in Limerick and Tralee and whatever. So I'm up and down, backwards and forwards, quite a lot. But, Good. But so hope, hope to see you over in the Borough Nature Sanctuary the next time you come. I, it, it's on my list to do later in the summer to go and see my sister. So. <laughs> Great. Um, so do you, could you tell us what you, you work for Birdwatch Island in conservation and maybe you could tell the listeners what you do and how your interest in birds was sparked? Okay, I'll start with the Birdwatch Island bit. Yeah, we're, we're obviously a big ENGO, environmental and non-governmental organisation. We, we think we're about the largest ENGO in the country in terms of membership we must have about 10,000 members so you know we are a voluntary organization we work very closely with a lot of state bodies trying to do our best for birds and their habitats but you know we don't win at everything but we we work hard at it we have a staff of about 20 to 30 people but it increases particularly in the summer when we take on a lot of field workers and uh, nature reserve wardens and whatever so that that, that the, the number employed would jump up significantly we're spread about although this is our hq we, we still haven't really got back to normal after covid so we still have a, a relatively big office and there's only sort of half a dozen of us in it instead of the usual or what used to be the usual the 15 or so we have other offices in the midlands and up in donegal and 
quite a lot of people, even prior to COVID, worked from home in various scattered places in West Cork and Galway, <laughs> whatever. So that, that that's Birdwatch. And we'll be discussing a little bit more about, about what we do and late later on. Yeah, the different but projects for, and things like for, that. For me, birds, I don't know. It's it, it's not always been my job, you know, so it's something I've always loved and done. I I, I would have to sort of maybe credit my father and uncle in my early years for buying me you know sort of wildlife magazines and that might have sparked a bit but they did, certainly didn't take me out and you know show show me nature my father died when I was very young when I was four or five so that that side of it was out so it was really just me exploring and obviously to, to, to any bird watcher but birds are the best thing because you see them they move around they're pretty they're colorful and do lots of interesting things you know so whereas you know I, I quite like plants and botany but they, they're not you know they can be very beautiful but they don't catch your eye in quite the same way as, as you know watching a gannet plunge dive or something and you think wow you know that's great and anyway so that's so I think I think my love of birds just evolved and I've had various careers, uh, not all in nature conservation, and uh, but now for the last 25 years or more, I've been working with Birdwatch, trying to protect mostly island seabirds. So, yeah, fantastic. So do you remember um, the first birds that you got interested in when you were young? Well, I, I was brought up on the coast, so I was very used to cormorants and kittiwakes and whatever. I, I lived right beside a... a a big kittiwake colony and cormorants and whatever. So seabirds to a certain extent, but then on the passerines, I, I would be chuffed when a red wing in the winter would pop up in the garden or something like that. And uh, I know when I'm out on the coast walking you know, above the seabird colonies in this early spring before the seabirds have really kicked off, wheat ears would turn up some point in March and that that would be another bird so I think red wing and wheat ear are sort of migrants that popped up in the spring particularly for the wheat ear and and the, and the autumn winter for the red wing you know red wings usually meant snow and sledging and all that sort of fun but then it was always the coast that I would get most enjoyment out of with seabirds and, and gulls and waders and whatever. Oh that's a lovely description very very good. Uh, have you had any special, particular special moments with birds during your life? Oh, in <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have them every year, this yeah. thing, you know, and it, it's a different special moment for a different event each year. So I, I, I'm, I would struggle to bring out, you know, an epiphany moment or anything because, I, we, you know, doing what we do, we get to some incredible places uh, and, and spectacles, for, you know, for me, going to Skellig or whatever, which I think has to be the best thing Ireland has, you know, anywhere in terms of, and, and you know, yes, most people like getting on to great Skellig, Skellig Michael, and, and going up to the monastery and experiencing the puffins and, and whatever, but your boat trip out there always includes a circuit of little Skellig and just the noise of... 30 odd thousand pairs of gannets, the noise, the smell, and the fact that you're in a little, you know, I don't know what the right word is, but it's a little boat at the bottom of this massive lump of rock, absolutely smothered in gannets. You know, it's got to be one of the most amazing experiences 
in Ireland, but you know, oh, it's, that, giving, it's that, giving me shivers. Yeah, yeah, fantastic, that's it. fantastic and description. So, so any, any immersion in a seabird colony at the height of the season, I think, it's just incredible. But then for me, yeah, there's always milestones every year that you record that you look forward to, you know, the next stage and the passing of the seasons. And obviously in the spring, for me, it's the sort of first willow warbler. And I now live on the, the, the edge of the Wicklow Mountains and, you know, hearing or seeing the first willow warbler, usually plus or minus the first of April, you know, that really means spring started to me when there's a bear clump of willows and this bird that's flown all the way from southern Africa is just singing there and it's often snowing or sleeting or raining or something you know it's horrible yeah they've made that journey and there they are sitting you you would think feeling as miserable as sin why the hell did we come here but that's what they do so I, I, I love those little milestones you know so that would be one for the spring then the summer I get totally immersed in seabirds so one of my main sites is Rockabill Island off, off County Dublin, where we look after the terns. And, you know, the, the first terns turning up, you, usually the very end of April, early May, is a very special moment. You know, there's only a few of them. And bear in mind, you know, two weeks later, we know we're going to have about seven or 10,000 of them. But just seeing that first little group coming in and starting to squawk in their special way and flying around the lighthouse on the island and you think ah oh, they found us again we're in business you know that's oh well, i used to write book you're very descriptive <laughs> thank you uh, and you are the senior seabird conservation officer responsible for those projects at rockville and kilku can you tell us about the state of bird life in ireland at the moment without being too depressing yeah. but let's let's have a yeah, the, the, baseline and what and what we need to do about it the, 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 there's always positives and negatives and things you know some things are doing surprisingly well some things are a lot of things aren't probably but but we, we, we'll touch a, a little bit on both but the, the main thing we do with that with a bunch of colleagues just a, a year or two after i started work with birdwatch in in the, whenever it was the 1990s I met, met together with some colleagues from the RSPB in Northern Ireland, and they brought in some of their senior people from England, from their office in Sandy. And we, we had a headbang about what, you know, what, how could we describe the state of birds in Ireland, you know, to give us a framework to, to pitch things on. And it's something that was emerging in a few places as well. And it's, it's called a Birds of Conservation Concern process for want of a better word and and literally it's it's an analysis of you know hundreds of different data sets that we do usually at about five or six year intervals and we're trying to assess you know what's going up what's going down and and you know what needs a little bit more help and all this sort of stuff so this thing has got bocky birds of conservation concern in Ireland and I say that with the first one we published as a sort of technical article in 1999 and then every five or six years we repeat the exercise so we're looking at the the number of sites a bird occurs in, whether its population is going up, down, about the same, and all this. And we end up with classifying each species, and there's about 200 that we, we consider a sort of normal residence of Ireland for some or all of the year. And 
we produce this traffic light system with a red list, an amber list, and a green list. And it's pretty self-explanatory. The red ones are the ones in trouble. The, the amber ones, there's concern, but we're not quite sure which way they're going. And then the green one is the one where we think the birds are either stable, increasing, and they're you know managing to live happily with man and what we do to the environment. So, you know, in, in that category and the green list sort of thing, it'd be things like great spotted woodpecker, which, you know, first appeared in Ireland only 10 or 15 years ago. Some claim it was a native species at some point and that some bones apparently belonging to woodpeckers were found in a cave, a cave in County Clare, I think. You know, so there's, there's evidence they were here briefly at some point in the past ice age time but there must have been some you know biggish deciduous trees for them 10 or so years ago they appeared in county wicklow and more or less simultaneously a few in northern ireland and the feeling was they possibly well two two explanations one was that there would be part of an eruption which would be a, a mass migration of birds out of scandinavia when various food stocks collapse whether it's pine cones or something this forces some species to move south and west so in the shetland islands in the uk they would suddenly start seeing woodpeckers and things like that and then occasionally we felt a few of these birds might reach ireland and one or two of them might have decided oh it's actually all right here why fly back to norway and stay but Later on, we, we, we got into sort of genetic analysis and we managed to work out actually that, that they were either the ones in County Down in Northern Ireland would come from Galloway in Scotland and the ones in Wicklow would probably come from Wales, you know, sort of the nearest land yeah. points. And we knew that, that the, the British population had, had exploded, you know, it increased to tenfold over 20 or 30 years so there was loads of them and they were obviously looking for somewhere new to live and they they found us normally they wouldn't want to fly over water at all but a few of them did and now you can probably see them in about half the country you know may, maybe not in Galway and Clare yet but <laughs> I'm sure they will come you know so that's fascinating that's yeah. just one thing but so from being a very rare bird and you'd say oh it has to be on the red list and whatever it's now become so common you know i see them on the feeders in my garden every day of the year you know and it's just they still i still get a kick out of them anyway but very cool but, i can't, but, but I can't anyway, wait yeah. to see one yeah i haven't we, seen we, one in galway yet but i can't wait to see one I, i'm sure they're pretty close and there might well have been some some in east galway maybe but Okay, okay. So, yeah, so the, 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 the so birds the... of conservation concern, that's our baseline. And, mm -hmm. you know, we assess everything from there. And it, it, a lot goes into it. You know, if you think of the thousands of geese we get in winter and whatever, we have to sort of factor all these things in populations going up, populations going down, or, or whatever it is. But we, we end up with, unfortunately, a, a growing red list. Uh, a diminishing green list and and quite a lot of birds in the middle in 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 the amber zone which would be where they're probably doing okay but we've just got to keep an eye on them or it, there might be species where 
they're actually doing that really fine but because Ireland is so important for them we have to kind of flag that up that we you know we're looking after a big chunk of the the European or occasionally the sort of global population of a species and therefore there's a, a responsibility with that so you know things like Brent geese the pale-bellied Brent goose we have you know 90 percent of the world population of the Canadian breeding pale belly Brent goose that comes to Ireland occasionally a few spill into Scotland or Wales but they're, they're all here so although we have 30 or 40,000 of them they're not rare that we, we, Ireland is very important for them and, and the same with the gannets you know we have a big chunk of the North Atlantic population of gannets are, are on our country and then we will start talking about roseate terns later which is, is my thing but <laughs> yes okay very good could you explain just briefly why why do we need birds uh, why they are important for a healthy ecosystem well i think if you if, if you look across the globe they have different roles and different sort of habitats and ecosystems and i i, I thought about it this a little bit but certainly quite a lot of them eat you know insect pests of farmers so that th th there are some benefits to having birds around in the environment i'd say very very few of them really seriously impinge on anybody's livelihood i know some farmers will grumble about the the impact of wintering geese on their fields and nibbling the the, the, pre the precious spring bite you know at that time of year but but and the fishermen will moan about whether it's anglers or commercial fishermen might moan about the gannets and nobody's or cormorant, very... or cormorants eating their their fish okay you know okay. but the, the birds were there before eating those fish before people were commercially harvesting them or whatever so you know we, we i think we have to learn to share with them but i say they have a role as as not really an island as pollinators but certainly as pest controllers you think of swallows and swifts and martins they're they're cleaning up vast numbers of aphids and things that farmers don't like you know so there's a benefit but and obviously the other, looking at it from the other way you know, if, if we and, don't and, have the aphids um they have nothing to feed on um, which yeah. is which is a problem with all the pesticides and and one particular group uh, are not popular and that's the crows so i feel sorry yeah. for them yeah the, the, and, and i mean some of them are pretty beautiful birds and i agree you know we, people love to hate magpies you know but when you actually look at them they're quite a spectacular bird and yes they they do get up to mischief and they eat smaller birds and their eggs and chicks and whatever but you know that's nature and you know but think we of have a, we have a that. big yeah we have a big rookery here uh, and a lot of people like to get rid of them out of their farms so so they're safe here and we have jackdaws and when i'm feeding in the morning i can call one of them and he comes hopping along and eats some food and they always leave a lookout here to make sure that if anybody's feeding the animals they he will call the rest of them over to clean up. Yeah, I, I agree that the, the rooks, big rookeries, and then in the winter, their roosts are one of the, to me, one of the really special things we have. And yeah, nobody really loves them in the same way we love robins or woodpeckers or something. But but I think the corvids are fascinating. And then obviously on the West Coast, you have one of my favourite birds, which is the chuff, you know, so and they are, you know, the most beautiful crow 
<laughs> and we have a, a lot of them, you know, on the west and the south coast. So we should be very proud of that. Yeah, very good. Uh, do you want to tell us about some of the schemes that are actually working to protect bird life? And I know there was a new grant announced for the waders at the Biodiversity Conference. Um, what do you think is actually working and what would you like to see more of? Well, I, I mean, if, if we're on the agri-environment scheme sort of front, uh, I, I, I wouldn't be happy with many of the schemes that, that, that our Department of Agriculture has come up with over the years. That Yes, there have been little components and they've encouraged farmers to plant hedgerows and whatever, but they tend to plant these things and then more or less ignore them and neglect them and ra rather than nurture them as a a source of biodiversity and a, a method of stock control which is what it's supposedly all about and whatever but so agri-environment schemes i always think we could do a lot better and be mm. more targeted and i know some of the recent ones in gloss and whatever have focused on on putting up nest boxes you know for things as big as barn owls at the the, the rare and the exciting end but then just for the for tits and robins and whatever at, at the more common end of the scale but what we found is that these things tend they're told they have to put up 10 or 20 and they just hammer them onto every tree you know around the, the farmyard rather than spreading them out and thinking about you know birds are territorial usually you need a bit of space so it, it's 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 that actual yeah everybody has that, the, bird, the bird boxes and the bat boxes we, we we are part of that scheme as well but i've seen them even hammered in a row onto a wall just because to, yeah, to tick that, the box that, that's it so I, I really think where we've got our chagas advisors and whatever and they're very good they always need to be in a in a an agri environment scheme they need to be partnered with a you know an ecologist of some sort that will say you know this is how we do it you know we need want to work together we want That's the farmer absolutely. to you know make a profit and a living and fine and the wildlife need a bit of space and this is how we do it so yeah. that sort of policing or better supervision of those projects and i know we've, we've just announced a new one haven't we there's a new one coming up i can't remember what it's called but again hopefully there will be a little more of a role for ecologists and environmentalists to work as, uh, alongside the agriculturalists. Yeah, absolutely. And what can the general public do to help bird life? Because everybody, um, we had the barn owl uh, project here and there was a lot of interest of what can people do. Uh, so education is a big thing. People do want to know how they can help. Well, uh, well, there's lots of ways. And I mean, so certainly we, the citizen science and bird recording or whatever wildlife recording, there's schemes for absolutely everything now, you know, so it's brilliant but you've got to be a little bit tech savvy if you want to contribute but you know we'd encourage anybody and everybody to contribute to some things we have a thing called bird track which is that you go for a walk with your dog every morning and you see whatever birds you can log that you know on your phone onto a thing called bird track which you can find via the birdwatch website and li literally it's not very technical all you're saying is i saw you know 10 robins three blackbirds whatever and you do that every every day or once a week you know you build up a, a, a knowledge and an understanding of your local patch of birds so i would encourage people to record obviously on the bird front we can put up boxes and you know plant berry bushes and whatever in our gardens for them and put up peanut feeders as well because you know you'll get a woodpecker if, if you haven't got one you'll get one soon 
and they're just great things to have. So, so that, that you know, there's, there's plenty you can do, and then get involved with more extensive surveys, you know, rather than just a casual walk, you can get involved with the winter wetland bird survey, iWebs, going out once a month for seven months from September through to March, counting birds on local wetlands. And it could be just a tiny little pond or a bit of river or, or a section of beach or estuary. That's, that's, that's a great way. We have a, another scheme called the Countryside Bird Survey, which is generally how we monitor our, our sort of common uh, birds of the countryside, where, whether, whether it's farmland or other habitats. So that, that, that requires a, li a little more effort. You have to walk two one-kilometer transects in a one-kilometer square, and you have to do that twice. In, a, in spring and early summer. But again, it, it, you know, it, it's just a way of m making your relationship with nature more meaningful, follow, yeah, following well, things through. Are, yes, very great. They're great suggestions. Thank you. We'll and and I mean, the, 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 the breeding waiter scheme, we're very excited about that, but there, there's absolutely nothing on the table yet. You know, we've been promised a lump of money and there's lots of people who want to sit around that table and discuss how we spend it and mm. what we can do but this that's obviously for the likes of you know the curlew very rare nowadays about 100 pairs has its own special scheme but really we're more concerned about snipe and lapwing which used to be much more common farmland birds and now again are, are limited to a handful of sites with declining populations, you know, there's more breeding waders on the red list than anything else, sort of thing. So that, that that's a very exciting project going forward, but I don't really have much information about it mm. just yet. And what else would you like the, to see the government doing to protect our birds? Oh, I, I mean, say so we work very closely and very well with them, but I still think we're, we're we in the in the as a in the volunteer sector are sort of second class citizens that the civil servants make their decisions and you know you know I, I would like a more integrated working relationship with them we do carry some of the most important they, they usually provide most if not all the money and and a little bit of expertise and supervision and what, whatever but we do the, the the grunt work sort of thing and it, it would just be to to treat us more as a, an equal rather than, you know, as a, a grant beneficiary or something. And, you know, yeah. yeah, there's some money, get on with it, but don't make too much noise sort of thing. It would be nice. And for, for me on the seabird side, we still really haven't got a good national monitoring scheme. Every, every, every 15 or so years, we do work closely together very hard and we try and do a national census that means we get to every island every bit of cliff every sandy beach you know and we try and do it in a, a three or four year window and then add it all up and we get the sort of the Irish population of seabirds and we've just finished one of those it's it's dragged on a bit because of covid because we we lost the last couple of years so we it's gone on for five or six years this time, but we're, we're going to produce a new baseline of where our seabirds are. That There's definitely good news stories. Gannets continue to go up, guillemots going up and whatever, but some other things are, are declining. The kittiwakes 
are one of the things we're most concerned about, which used to be the most common seabird we had. And now we, we know we've lost about 30% of them and it's probably still going down. So they are red listed and, and not just in Ireland, it's, it's across the world. They're, they're a pretty pan-global species in, in you know, Arctic mm. and subarctic and boreal temperate waters. They're a very good indicator of the marine environment and they're under pressure everywhere and, you know, Mm -hmm. warming um, ocean yeah, acidifying ocean overfishing you can throw everything in there but we don't quite know and then the worrying news this year is that the avian influenza the highly pathogenic avian influenza which did hit some of our geese goose populations in the winter it's still around and at the moment it's gone mad in the north sea in scotland where literally thousands tens of thousands of seabirds are dying nearly every day in the north sea it is terrifying seeing some of the images I, you know it probably hasn't really gotten to the news in ireland much but the seabirds just dying on mass in, in colonies and you know with chicks and eggs and whatever it's very distressing and it's really impacted it in scotland in particular gannets and great skewers which are the two biggest chunkiest most aggressive seabirds they are the ones you think would would survive anything you know mm. and they've been absolutely decimated by this and and now for, for me the worry is it's, it's in some of the turn colonies I, I know over in the north sea and my colleagues working there they're heartbroken what you know and they've been more or less told to dig a big hole and throw all these dead birds in it you know and more that's or less that, shut up shop absolutely terrible, terrible and we're pretty certain it's going to arrive in ireland big time you know in the next few weeks so literally yeah. the is minute there anything the is there anything that can be done uh, just before we move on i i want to say that i i actually witnessed the disconnect between the ngos and the government at the biodiversity conference uh, there were a few people there um, doing some little sections of it, but basically it was the government's bodies talking down. And then the last little interview with the NGOs uh, absolutely seemed to be second class citizens and sort of crying for help. Help, help. Yeah. Um, so that does need to be addressed. Is there anything we can do about the avian flu? no I don't, I don't think so i think it's just going to run its course you know but we, we've got to try and make sure we don't help it spread you know so i say it looks at the moment we, we stand the best we we know it's all over the north sea it's around the north of scotland it's in st kilda to the north of us we think I, I, I think a gannet has just been washed up dead with it in Northern Ireland. And we think some other birds have died after, after the, the goose mortality in the Northwest, the barnacle geese that died in Sligo and Donegal. There's, a lot of them are still lying in the fields and we think are have been infecting other birds and, and mammals and whatever that scavenge on them. Mm. So it, that's, that's... I think it could flare up in the northwest and uh, i've heard a report of, of some i think it might be turns in cumbria i don't know all i can say is that we have some managed sites the warden sites you know which, which have public access and we will probably be saying you know please stay away you know that 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have various visitors signed up to go out to Rockabill, and I think I'm today I'm probably going to be telling them, no, we should be cancelling these trips. We just shouldn't be encouraging people to move on right. and off seabird colonies unless it is absolutely necessary. So, mm. you know, you, you would have to go to the Department of Agriculture website and look at the guidance there, and it's don't touch them. Mm unless you really, really have to, but generally don't touch them, report them. But I think this is where we need a better relationship with the authorities, you know, now is what what do we do? Do we just leave them there? Because they're just going to infect more birds. I know if, if they are collected, they would have to be incinerated probably. Yeah, so, say, well, I mean, that's the least you can get the word out that people don't touch them if they see them. And can they report them to Birdwatch Island? They, they can report them to us or that the, there is a, a sort of hotline in the Department of Agriculture, mm-hmm. which you can find on their website. OK, I'll put be... I'll put the links in, in the show notes. So can we just um, finish up with a have you a particular success story you can tell us about a species regeneration in Ireland? Uh, oh well, 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 it has to be the one closest to my heart. It's the one I started working on, which is the Rosie Turn project we have, which is mostly in Rockabill, and we have a, a second site in Ladies Island Lake in Wexford. But there, you know, we we support eight, at least eighty percent, ninety percent of the the European population of these this species, and it's all on two sites: Rockabill with over seventeen hundred pairs. It, you know, we we started managing the site a few years before I started with Birdwatch, and we had about 150 pairs of rosy terns, and now we have 1740 or something. Or That's absolutely amazing. So, well done, uh, Stephen. Uh, uh, we all appreciate uh, uh, that. You know, and I, I would love more people to be able to get out and see them. We we are trying to get groups and, and people out there. We got Minister Malcolm Noonan out there very recently. So I was really pleased we could show him and hopefully he'll now be aware to the seabird conservation stories, you know, and that was literally, I think the day after he'd announced we've got 3 million to work on yeah. breeding waders and whatever. So yeah, I think he is actually very keen to help. Um, he's got a particular soft spot for birds. Have you any books you could recommend? Well, you need a good ID book to, to, to start with. So, and there's a there's a, th- a thing called the Collins Guide and it's come out, it's been reprinted um, umpteen times. It's got a black and red cover, the Collins Guide. And, and the great thing about it is that one of Ireland's best bird artists, Killian Milani, drew, uh, you know, painted half the paintings in it. And it, it, it's, it stood the test of time. It's an incredible resource. So you need an, an ID book to, to help you. We had that one in our shop in the gift yeah. shop here and in the online shop. So shop, if anybody yeah. in Ireland would like to get that, they can go and look so. on the Borough Nature Sanctuary shop. Thank you so much for coming on. I mean, it was it's very inspiring and also very educational. I wasn't aware of the impact of the avian flu. I have seen images, but I didn't realise the impact in the North Sea. And thank you so much for the work you've done. And we'll hopefully see you in... Galway, uh, whenever you come and visit your sister. <laughs> okay, no, well, it gives me something to do, yes. Rather than go and sit on the beach or go for a swim. I'll... <laughs>
No, and I, I, I love the burn, but I very rarely get there when the flowers are at its best and, and whatever. So it just doesn't work with the life on seabird islands. You just, you miss from April through to August yeah. just every year. Yeah, that's true. So we'll put all the links in the show notes. And um, if anybody would like to get in touch, uh, can you recommend how they would get in touch with you or with Birdwatch Island? <sighs> Well, my, my, my email if they want, but there's an info at birdwatchisland.ie. All general queries go there. They, they you know, the, the admin staff here in the office then try and send those things to various people, you know. So li literally this week, I've somebody sent me a picture of a strange bird that flew into his window and sadly, I think we'd, it demised. And it, it's the usual thing. Can you identify this? You know, so you get these pictures of a, a bird. And this was a, a garden warbler, which was, it's a very rare bird in Ireland. And this guy is somewhere in County Limerick. Brilliant. We, we Brilliant. know a few of them further north in Ireland in, in sort of Cavan, that sort of area. Oh, that's, that's but, great. But, so but to find one in, in a garden in Limerick is, is, is pr pretty great. But the, just send them to info at Birdwatch Island. We do our best, you know. We're, <laughs> To thank you, many thank queries. you so much, Stephen. It was absolutely lovely speaking to you. Um, and thank you for all the work and everybody in Birdwatch Island. You're welcome. Um, news from Borough Nature Sanctuary is that we hosted the Digi Lego team for three days of intense training last week. Scientists, including professors from Tier University in Germany, NUIG in Galway, and ecologists in many varying disciplines came together create lab and quantitative open educational resources for the geography and environmental science domains. The project at Borough Nature Sanctuary consisted of multimedia training for creating online field courses, such as the groundbreaking accessible botany field trip designed by Dr. Karen Bacon from the National University of Ireland Galway Plant Sciences Department over the COVID lockdown. It was wonderful to listen into the diverse training sessions and watch the group filming methods for sampling, surveying and data collection with video, drone, macro and 360 cameras. It was a lot of fun to meet everyone and we were blessed with the meadow at its peak flowering with a sea of yellow rattle, oxide daisies, orchids and three days of good weather. When all the content is collated, it will be available for everyone to access if they wish. Just to remind people, we are now open seven days a week for July and August, so please call in to visit.